everyone. Welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, a country that is still kind of semi-quarantined because of the corona situation. I don't know what your situation is, probably similar to mine, but I want to bring you at least this weekly show and pretend that everything is normal for the next hour or so. It is a great day to be podcasting. Actually, outside the weather is fantastic. We have a beautiful spring day, which is actually quite a problem because in my country, the people or a lot of people are not taking good care of themselves. Uh, they are leaving the house in droves. They've been visiting the beaches, the woods, the the all the the parks, and. They are not keeping their distances, which is very, very scary because, of course, we're still here in this upgoing curve of the pandemic. And so uh, you don't get immediate results. Um, but I'm so worried that two weeks from now we will all regret this, you know, this behavior of just, you know, thinking, well... I can't see it, so it doesn't exist. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, I'm sitting inside, and I'm really, really excited that I've set up my new green screen studio. I used to record this show at the office. I brought Friday on Friday. I brought all my equipment here, or the remaining equipment. I had already moved quite a bit of equipment in the previous weeks to uh, to the rectory. And I finally set up this uh, new uh, Elgato green screen that I was able to purchase thanks to my patrons. And, uh, and it works really well. It is actually easier to use than the big green screen that I had in the studio. The only downside is that I still have to uh, um, install the lights here so that it's got a nice even backlighting. But so far I'm just using the, uh, the reflection of the sunlight outside that streams in through the window and it works really, really nicely. Also super excited that we have a huge crowd, a live crowd. So I'm, I kind of, I don't envy talk show hosts like, uh, I don't know, Stephen Colbert or, or all the others there because they have to record their, their skits at home without feedback from their audience. Well, I am streaming live and there is a record crowd right now in the chat room. And it's so fun to be able to, you know, exchange and chat. And of course, all that has to do with the fact that a lot of us are all right now at home, working at home, working from home. There are many parts in the world where pe people are discouraged to leave their home or uh, they're outright forbidden to leave their home for, you know, if they don't have a good reason. Um, I, d I still expect this to also change in my country that uh, a few days from now, or maybe even today, who knows, things are changing by the minute, that we will also be stuck at home. Um, but for, for my part, I'm actually really glad to be here, that I have my the technical side of all this podcasting uh, installed. I'm still working on the, the live streams that I do for gaming and for building Lego, but I'm taking this one step at a time. And that's probably the best way. We'll talk a little bit more about how you know you can you can get used to working from home uh, in, a, in a later part of the of the show. But I'm really happy that at least I can just sit down and record a show or multiple shows without having to constantly improvise. This gives me some peace of mind. You know, I've got my podcasting set in order, so I'll be able to bring you these shows uh, from now on for the duration of you know of this entire crisis um there there is one caveat i do have a, a bit of a weird cough and it's gotten worse uh, like yesterday evening 
I kept coughing. It even woke me up during the night, and I was just terrified. I was like, oh, no, please tell me this isn't, <laughs> this isn't corona. Um, today, it's a little bit easier. I still notice that I just have, as long as I take it calmly and, and I, I don't try to do too much, um, then it doesn't bother me too much. But especially in the evening, uh, it does get worse. I don't have a fever, though. I don't have any of the other symptoms. But as long as I have this cough, I'm stuck at home. I'm not going to meet anyone. I, I'll just live from, from my fridge, basically. I'm glad I still have some food reserves. <laughs> and that's, that's the, the best thing I can do. Uh, it is tempting, though, to go outside with this beautiful weather. But, oh, well. With this green screen, at least, I can pretend that I'm elsewhere. I'm, I'm right now, for those of you that are listening to this show, um, imagine that I am in the living room of Bilbo Baggins. And behind me, you see these nice windows. It's early in the morning. The sunlight is streaming from outside, from, from Bag End, for, actually from Hobbiton, uh, from the Shire, through the windows onto the beautiful wooden floor of this Hobbit hole. And there, there's a, uh, a, a carpet on the floor underneath a, this wooden table. There are little, uh, uh, what is it, paintings on the wall. It's it's a lot nicer than what is behind this green screen, which is basically my computer room. <laughs> but I, I I just love to pretend that I'm in the Shire and everything is fine. Um, I hope you are doing well too. Uh, of course, I do get some updates from from you through social media, and I I appreciate that a lot. I can you know follow a little bit how life is in all these different parts of the world from which uh, some of you are, are listening. Um, and it helps me to, to also, you know, relativize my own situation. We're, we're all kind of in, in this uh, weird, weird, strange new situation, and we're still all trying to adjust. But I think together we will, uh, I think we'll make it, you know. It, it, it take, let's take our time. Let's not stress out too much. Uh, give ourselves some extra room to grow into this new situation. Of course, I, I have, it's for me, it's easy to say that because I live here alone. I'm a celibate priest. I, I can't imagine how hard it must be for parents to be in this situation, especially if they're not used to homeschooling and the kids are with you 24 hours a day. I can imagine that that must be very, very testing for them. I hope that it could also come with some some new benefits. For, it may strengthen maybe the bonds of family uh, in this situation. Finally, before I continue, I want to welcome three new patrons, people that support me through patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Anne, Marty, and Nadine have signed up to become a patron. Thank you so much. I've also seen a few people um, decreasing their monthly uh, contribution and I totally understand. These are difficult times and people have to be careful and prudent with their finances. Um, but it's always kind of surprising to see how everything balances out. If some people have to drop off for whatever reason, then some new listeners start to chip in. And so we keep things in balance quite well. And, uh, well, as I've mentioned before, like this new green screen set, uh, this this roadcaster, the microphone, all that is made possible thanks to those patrons. Um, and uh, your help is very much appreciated. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. 
You've taken your first step into a larger world. So through the comments uh, while I'm streaming this, I get uh, some news updates from where some of my listeners live and what the situation is there. Like Jennifer says, oh, it's raining right now in Philadelphia. And I hope that that keeps people inside. So far, the weather has been gorgeous and people have been going out a lot. That's the same here. It is the, 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 the nice springtime weather is actually super dangerous right now. Um, Dallas will start uh, shelter at home. Oh, uh, Mary is in Dallas and will begin to shelter at home tonight. So for, for some of you, this is actually the first week that you're actually having to live and work from home. Um, uh, I, we've, we've been in this situation for two weeks now. Yeah, it's been about two weeks that I've been, you know, not going to the office. And I've, I've been going out a little bit more in the previous two weeks. But since I have this cough, I've not been out uh, almost at all. Except for, you know, the most necessary things like, you know, if I'm out of food, then I have to go to the supermarket. But I, I really dread it. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, I hope I don't get anything. You, you really start to be worried about everything that happens. Like any, anyone could be a potential danger for you and vice versa. So, anywho, Alphonse celebrates his birthday today with his, her, his uh, twin sister. Happy birthday. So, uh, I, I, I'm sorry for you that you have to celebrate it under these circumstances. Jerome is uh, watching us from the Archdiocese of Louisville in Kentucky. And uh, many of you are actually enjoying these live streams as well. Uh, so in addition to those of you that enjoy the podcast, uh, it's, it's great to see that some people really like to, to watch the live stream in, in these weeks specifically, because I, I, I think it's like with any distraction from, from the situation, it, it just helps you alleviate your worries a little bit. So I'm glad to do that. I've been uh, streaming mass from, from my church here, the the church next to which the rectory is built. That went really well. I had a great idea, actually, if I say so myself. That sounds actually very wrong to say it. But um, I I uh, came up with the idea to um, uh, completely change the camera. Like last week, I had put two cameras uh, near the pews, and they were filming the altar. Now, our altar is... Uh, it's pretty high up. It's there is like the the choir of the church is like three steps higher than the rest of the church. That is great for normal situations where because people have always a good view of the altar. It's not so great for for streaming because I need these very tall tripods in order for the cameras to have kind to be at eye level. So that was hard. Plus, the pews are, are quite far away from the from the altar. So. Uh, and and then the, the laptop was next to the next to the cameras because it, the cameras are connected to the laptop via USB and those cables cannot be too long. And 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 um, now that I have this cough, I decided that I had to be prudent and celebrate mass by myself. Last week I had a lector, I had someone, or actually a few people that that uh, were uh, chanting, and I had an acolyte, but. For this weekend, I just called them all off. I was like, let's not do that. It's too too risky. But that meant that I had to do everything myself. I was like, well, there's only one way I can do this. And the laptop has to be on the altar. 
I know it's a bit sacrilegious, but you know the pastoral needs of the of the parishioners actually I think um, are more important than you know normal rules when about what you can put on the altar or not. So, but if the if the laptop would be on the altar, then I of course needed to put the cameras close to the laptop, and then I had this brainwave. Why don't I turn it completely around? Why don't I celebrate at Orientem? To, so with my face towards the east. That is the traditional way of, of uh, celebrating Mass. So the East is where the sun rises, symbol of Christ, symbol of the resurrection. And most churches are built in the old situation where you know Mass was always towards the East. And so I just s- stepped to the other side of the altar and I filmed the Mass from the place where normally the tabernacle would be. And so behind me you see the church and uh, because I was using professional cameras, I was able to do a little bit of a blurry background, and it looked gorgeous. It looked so beautiful. Uh, in the evening, it looked nice because you see all these, these um, you know, the ceiling and the stained glass windows of the church, uh, the lights inside the church. But also on Sunday morning, we had sunlight streaming through the... Uh, you know the the not the the south side actually of the church, and so there was this beautiful light in the church itself, and I had that as a background. It's like wow, why didn't I think of that? The only downside of that view is that you see that the church is empty, which still feels so weird and so wrong. I, you know, celebrating mass is not something that I like to do by myself. I do it a lot, especially because I'm just an assistant priest, and so during the week, I often don't have uh, uh, um, uh, people in the pews, or I don't. Ce- I celebrate mass here in my private, uh, on my private altar. But especially on, you know, on Sunday, I'd like people to be there. But I have to say, now that I had the laptop on the altar, I was able to see those that assisted, and I could read their comments after after mass. Actually, um, we had a little chat, which was really great. And worked worked really well, and I have to say that just psychologically, it felt as if I was celebrating with real, you know, a real crowd with a a, a real community, and uh, I it didn't feel alone at all, which was really powerful, and it, it helped also for me to to be carried by the liturgy instead of you know performing something in front of a camera. So all in all, it was a very, very nice uh, experience. I'm glad that I was able to find a temporary solution for the for the audio because I did something stupid last week. Um, I installed like an audio plugin for the streaming software that I use and that messed up the internal settings of the Mac. And so it didn't recognize the audio in anymore. And the first time that I was streaming Mass from church, I was using the audio from the, let's say, the church audio. And and that worked fine. And now all of a sudden after the update, it didn't recognize it anymore and I couldn't fix it. There was no way to fix it. So what I did was when I'm streaming Lego, uh, I have this small lavalier microphone. It is a Rode, I think it's called the Lav plus or something like that laugh pro plus or I'm, I'm not sure anyway it's one of those road plug-in microphones um and i normally when i'm when i'm building my lego builds uh, i just have the laptop and a small webcam and that's it so i don't have my podcast microphone or anything so i'm using this lavalier microphone to 
have better audio than when I'm just using the built-in microphone of the MacBook Air because built-in microphones are usually horrible. Um, so I use this one during mass as well. The only problem is it is a very, very short wire. So this is not even a meter, I think. This must be like 80 centimeters. So I had to, to make sure that I stayed very, very close to the MacBook. And of course, I forgot. And when you walk from, you know, the altar to the ambo to read the readings and to for the homily, I was almost, you know, pulling the, the laptop off the altar. And then uh, I realized and when you're kneeling also, like there is even tension on the cord because it's so short that when I kneel, like the microphone is like yanked up. <laughs> so it was it was quite a challenge to uh, keep keep that in mind. Uh, I, I've ordered an extension cable, and it came uh, in the mail today. So thankfully, next week I will have six meters of of wire, um, and, and then I will probably have to make sure that I don't trip over the wire because that too would probably cause uh, a, a, a havoc in the in the church. The only thing that I'm still trying to figure out is uh, how to do the the Easter celebrations and Holy Week celebrations. Last In the last episode, I talked about that. And what I would like to do, if possible, is to invite the two other priests. So we've got the pastor, who's uh, originally from Poland, and we've got an assistant priest who is from uh, Colombia. He's a missionary. I would like to invite both, both of them to celebrate those, you know, Holy Week and Easter celebrations with me, providing, of course, that I don't have cold symptoms anymore. Um, but then I will have an audio problem again because this lavalier microphone is not something that I can split up into three microphones. And can you imagine the three of us tied to the altar with wires and then carrying around Easter candles, etc.? That's a recipe for disaster. So fortunately, we're only at kind of halfway through uh, Lent right now. So there is still some time to think about this, and I may end up completely uh, rebooting and reinstalling this this MacBook Air, and hopefully that solves the audio problems. But um, yeah, it's going to be ch- quite a challenge. On the other hand, what else have I got to do, right? <laughs> and with that, I think it is time to move over to our first segment of the show, movies and TV shows. I don't know about you, I've been watching a lot of TV. And since Netflix and Amazon and Facebook are all lowering their image quality, I'm actually watching a lot of Blu-rays because there's no you know, signal loss with Blu-rays. And I just ordered a f- my first 4K Blu-ray video. Um, I'll tell you in a second what, what video I bought. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So I'm a huge fan of of Blu-rays. And uh, most of the movies that I watch several times, like Star Wars or The Hobbit or, you know, Lord of the Rings or even The Hunger Games. I've got like these guilty pleasures of some of the movies that a lot of people dislike, but I happen to like them uh but movies that i that i love to re-watch over and over again i always make sure i've got them on blu-ray 
Um, now, I do have the ability, um, since I got a new TV um, a couple of months ago, to... to that's a 4K TV. Actually, it's pretty difficult now to find TVs that are not 4K. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, some on some of these streaming platforms, you can get 4K video. Like Disney has all the Star Wars movies in 4K and some other uh, series as well. Netflix, I don't think I have a subscription that offers 4K. I think you need to pay more. Um, Amazon Prime has a lot on 4K just for a regular price. So that is actually uh, quite quite nice to have uh, that uh, ability to to stream 4K. But I have noticed that the bitrate is very low because, of course, 4K is a huge amount of, of, of data. And in order to kind of, like, tone it down a little bit because, you know, I think normally, a, a like, a 4K Blu-ray, that is, I don't know, fixed 50 or 60 gigabytes of data. Uh, whereas if you, I'm just kind of, pulling that out of thin air, correct me if I'm wrong, but for, you know, these streaming platforms, they reduce that tremendously to, I don't know, four gigs or five gigs. Still a lot, especially if you're, you're on, you know, if your bandwidth is capped, which fortunately in the Netherlands is not the case, but I know in the, in the US that is often the case. You only have a limited amount of data that you can use. So they, they, they compress the video. So you still get like an overall 4K resolution, but there are a lot of tricks added to the, you know, uh, to the picture sampling so so that they can, you know, give you an overall good-looking picture, but it doesn't look as good as, you know, full 4K resolution. So um, I I got a, an Xbox One uh, about half a year ago, I think, that I use for just a few games. I Usually when I play video games, I play them on the PC, and that is mostly a cost-related issue. Um I personally really dislike the fact that for all these um, game consoles, and if you want to play online, if you want to play in a community with friends, you have to subscribe to this live service. And PlayStation has that, and um, uh, Xbox has it. I'm not sure about the Nintendo Switch, by the way, if they if, if you have to pay for you know group play there as well. For PC, that's always free. So even on that, in that respect, and you know, that can be pretty expensive. That can be like 40 or 50 bucks a year just to play with other people. Whereas on PC, you don't have to pay that. Plus, PC games tend to be a little bit cheaper than, than uh, console games. Um, so I got myself that Xbox specifically to play, um, just, uh, like there was a, an offer where it came with Forza, which is like a racing game, which is really nice, and you don't have to be online to play it. I had some Xbox, old Xbox 360 games that were still compatible with the Xbox One. So I had Red Dead Redemption, the first Red Dead Redemption, which is kind of playing in a Western setting, really great open world type of game, uh, very enjoyable. I, I just love to ride my horse in the Wild West, and it, it looks gorgeous, also on a on an Xbox One, and what else did I get? There's another game that I love to play. Uh, what was it again? It's not Star Wars. Hmm. I'm trying to, was it Anthem? No, it wasn't Anthem. Anyway, some other game that I, that I, that I thought, you know, that would be worth getting the Xbox One for. And the additional reason that I got that Xbox One was to be able to play 4K uh, 
Blu-rays because it has a built-in 4K player. And I was just curious to see what that would look like, especially you know with Star Wars and everything. Well, turns out those 4K discs are super expensive. Like if I would like to buy, I don't know, The Last Jedi in 4K, you pay easily 20 to 25 bucks. That is insane. <laughs> so especially now that Disney Plus is offering 4K versions, streaming versions of those movies anyway, I never really bought a 4K disc. So I've never seen a 4K Blu-ray. But recently, Amazon started in the Netherlands and they have some nice deals. And since Amazon is still not used that much in the Netherlands, I guess, we, we have a, because it took so long for Amazon to arrive in my country, there's another big company, uh, bol.com, so B O L.com, and they've got like 80% of the market for, um, you know, that it's, but it's very similar what they offer to Amazon. So Amazon started just recently in the Netherlands. They've got some very good deals and usually there's plenty of stock. So the other day I saw two movies uh, that were uh, 4K movies and uh, and this is real 4K because that's another thing I need to explain. Um, since 4K is a lot of data, a lot of movies are filmed not in 4K. So either you can film on, you know, old-fashioned film stock for instance, the new Star Wars movies were all filmed the old-fashioned way. George Lucas, when he was filming the prequels, he was like, oh, I got to do top-notch, you know, digital filming. The downside was that back then, digital cameras, this is, you know, the Phantom Man, this is ages ago, those digital cameras were bulky, expensive, and pretty low resolution. Most telephones can film in a higher resolution than George Lucas used for the prequels. Imagine that. And so now that they're trying to upscale these old prequels to modern standards, they're having a big, big... Um, no, they actually have big trouble, big problems up-converting that because the original quality, I think, was 2K. So that's half of what our current televisions can display. Now, of course, you can still upscale that with very fancy algorithms and make it look, you know, better than if you would just double the pixels, but it's not ideal. So for Star Wars, for the new Star Wars trilogy, J.J. Abrams and, and Disney decided to go back to filming all that using regular old-fashioned film stock because if it's a chemical process, you can actually always rescan things and they're doing this now with old, very old footage. They're rescanning those movies and they look better oftentimes than than the stuff that you film with modern cameras so um good i'm very happy that they went back to the original uh way of filming this but of course a lot of movies a lot of other movies are just filmed with with digital cameras that run at 2k and there's a reason for that it's not just to because they can't afford 4k technology but it is mostly for the post-processing if you edit 4k footage is extremely taxing on the editing computers and that will be exponentially more difficult when you have to add special effects it is a massive difference if you have to render special effects like a digital spaceship or something like that in let's say hd resolution or in 4k uh, that that will require so much computer power 
that oftentimes movies are still being filmed in 2K and in post-production, they also use 2K during editing. And it's only when they are put on a 4K like master, for instance, the most cinemas, most modern cinemas right now project in 4K. So then they up-convert it. And also for these discs, they up-convert it from 2K to 4K. So you don't get native resolution. You'll always see that's a little bit blurry. Well, there is a huge database online. Uh, and you can type in any movie that is released in 4K to know if it's true 4K, like one-on-one, -on -one, every pixel that was filmed, that's what you get. Or if it's fake 4K and it's just two, a 2K original that has been upscaled, which of course is... Not as ideal as original 4K. So for these two movies that I bought, this is a long introduction. Oh my goodness. It's as lo the longer this whole corona situation takes, the more verbiage I need to express my thoughts. I don't know why that is. Anyway, I bought two movies, Passengers and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Both of them were nine euro something. That is under a tenner. That's crazy. I remember that a couple of years ago, you know, 10 bucks for a DVD would be considered good value. Now you've got 4K. Plus, with passengers, you also get a 3D version. In, of course, not a 4K 3D because that doesn't exist. I still have uh, a TV that is able to do uh, like passive 3D. So you have um, polarized glasses that you wear. It's very nice, actually. And uh, so I still... If I find a, a, an affordable 3D Blu-ray, I still buy them because I like that 3D experience. So for Passengers, um, that, that is actually a movie that I loved. Um, I'm not sure if it was a big success at the box office. It stars uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, Michael Sheen and Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne from, from uh, Matrix. Um, and it tells the story of this ship that is trying to reach a new star and a new planet because, I don't know, something is messed up on Earth or maybe, I don't know. The, the future of mankind is with this ship and it, it contains a lot of passengers that are traveling, you know, hundreds of light years to the closest star system that may have a planet that is uh, habitable. Um, and everybody, of course, if you have to if it takes a century and you go at light speed to the next nearby star system, um, you would need multiple generations to reach it. And so instead, they froze it. They put everybody in cryogenic sleep. And then something goes wrong. Of course, there always something goes wrong in every science fiction movie. And uh, Chris Pratt's character is woken up. And he's not even halfway. And he's super lonely. Now, and then he makes a very morally dubious decision. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen the movie, but that changes everything on the ship. And um, what I enjoyed about this movie is, first of all, the way it looks. It is so gorgeous. Everything is um, done extremely well. I mean, this is one of the most, the newer science fiction movies. It is baffling. It's it, it, only now that with the new Star Trek series and with some of the stuff that they're doing for The Mandalorian, we're getting this same cinematic feel also on TV. But but when Passengers came out, I was super impressed by the visual quality. Um, and I imagine that in 4K, 
it will look even better. Uh, and it's also just a great story. It's a, it's just one of those tropes, because this is definitely a science fiction trope, that I enjoy so much. I, I remember uh, I have a, a book here, like a, a pocket edition of a science fiction book. What was it called? Millennium? No, it's not Millennium. The Asgard Run. The Asgard Run. You can't even get it for in a Kindle version. It's it's very obscure science fiction. The Asgard Run, and it tells the story of a, a group of people. In this takes place, I think, in the in the very far away future of two thousand and twenty. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I think I bought this around I don't know nineteen ninety eight or something like that. And they were like, oh, okay, in the very far away future, two thousand and twenty, um, they they discover. A, a spaceship, a huge spaceship, as big as, you know, like a, a skyscraper on its side, um, that is buried inside a mountain. And for many years or decades, they've tried to enter uh, the spaceship, but they couldn't. The door was locked, and there was only this very tiny hallway that you could access. And so it had become, they did dug tunnels, and uh, it, it, they turned it into kind of a almost an archaeological site so people would come there in droves to just see that entrance to that big spaceship and then one day there's this small group of tourists they're basically just tourists and they're in that small entrance hall because everybody can walk in but it's just you know it's it's a few few meters wide and all of a sudden the, the outer door i think closes and the inner door opens and so they're stuck inside that spaceship and the entire story is about the, them discovering the innards of this massive spaceship that nobody has ever been in and it's this total isolation of this group that that creates such a, an interesting dynamic and as a reader you're also there you're, you've got that claustrophobic claustrophobic cut off feeling at first until you start to discover this inner space of this this massive massive spaceship and you go from discovery to discovery. It, I love that trope. With Passengers, same thing. For the first half of the movie, you're alone with Chris Pratt's character. And you're just discovering the ship. And you're trying. he's trying to kill time. And he feels so lonely. Even though he's surrounded by people, they're all sleeping. And I find it just such a fitting movie for these times where we're all kind of in that same situation. Of course, we don't live in spaceships. But we're still stuck our world has become at first feels very very small um and it's all about i think that the challenge of these times is to discover your inner space discover that that th there is life between these walls you just have to kind of reprogram yourself and and rediscover what you can do um and uh, uh we'll talk a little bit more about you know the, the consequences of, of living uh, inside your home for a lot for an extended time, and what you could do to kind of expand that inner space in your life. But in this movie, I I kind of I'm looking forward to watching it again because I and I, maybe I'll I'll talk a, about it in in a future edition of this show as well because I think I love movies that are a bit of a metaphor for the times in which we live. The second movie that I bought was is an oldie but a golden. A golden movie. It is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That movie has been completely remastered. And it's been resampled in, I think, in 8K even. So they downsampled it for this version. They redid the special effects. Uh, from what I've read, it looks gorgeous and it sounds amazing. That is a movie I've watched 
when it was in, in the movie theaters, I was still a child. I think it came out after the first Star Wars movie. But I remember watching it in, in a movie theater as a child. I was super impressed and scared. I was so scared. I, as a child, I was like totally into uh, unidentified flying objects. And I, I like every day I would stare out of my window for hours hoping that I would also spot a UFO. I'm a little bit more skeptical today, but uh, back then it was just such a great idea that there would be, you know, visitors visitors from outer space flying around in these cool spaceships. So I've always had a soft spot for this movie, and it is just brilliantly done. Um, it's classic Steven Spielberg stuff, and especially with the added uh, special effects. I'm I'm not very happy with the looks of the special effects that they added to the original Star Wars trilogy. It looks dated, but not with with Close Encounters. From what I remember, these upgraded special effects looked amazing. Also helps, of course, that most of the movie takes place at night, and it's much easier to do good-looking special effects just with lights. In you know, when, when when the rest of the world is dark, than to do all these daylight effects like you know an entry in Mosaicly, Mosaicly, uh, with you know the CGI of of that age. It just doesn't hold up today. So anyway, I'll let you know when these movies arrive what I thought of them. There's one more movie that I want to mention here briefly that I rewatched yesterday, and I kind of regretted it in a certain way because it was I was I was I wanted to watch a movie that would distract me a little bit of the situation, and it did totally the opposite. I was rewatching World War Z. Now World War Z is a zombie movie based on a, a book which actually kind of reads like a survival guide. What, would, what do you do? How do you survive in the case of a zombie invasion? The movie itself is a totally different storyline. It's much more a narrative thing. The, the, the book is almost like, reads like a, like a manual for zombie invasions. Uh, but of course, for the movie, they need to tell stories. So Brad Pitt, he's actually the one who, who bought the rights to the, to the script and started to make this movie. At first, it, it appeared to be a disaster. They had a lot of trouble during production. Uh, I think the movie was even delayed. There were a lot of rumors about you know, everything that could go wrong went wrong in the, in the production. So everybody expected this to become a total box office failure. And the opposite happened. It was a massive success. <laughs> I think it is the best-selling movie or the best-performing movie that Brad Pitt has, in, has been in. And that's saying a lot, because he's been in a lot of successful movies. So I think I've heard that they are currently contemplating doing a sequel to World War Z, because the story is kind of open-ended. But um, I don't even know why I was watching that last night, but it occurred to me how much this all these, these zombie tropes, all these zombie movies, like The Walking Dead, etc., it's all a mirror, a mirror of our current situation. It's a metaphor of a viral outbreak. And uh, especially in World War Z, it is actually caused, the zombies are, uh, are caused by an animal virus that transmits all of a sudden to people, and people turn into zombies. Uh, and it spreads quicker and quicker, and the, the entire movie is this race against the clock to try to contain it and to try to figure out how to stop it. And um, what I liked about the movie is... Uh, especially the kind of the realism of the of the script, even though of course we don't have a zombie uh, infestation right now, but in many ways, uh, the way the story is is done, 
um, is is very similar to what you hear about in the news. You know, the how to contain this this pandemic, how to uh, keep. And, and you see different countries reacting in different ways. So, for instance, uh, Israel, in that in the movie, builds a huge wall or has been building a huge wall around the country for for many years. And so that's how they try to keep out these zombies. Ultimately, it doesn't really success uh, is not really a success. And then North Korea, that's the worst. This happens at the beginning of the movie, so it's not much of a spoiler. North Korea is the one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have any zombies. Not because they're hiding the problem, like they're probably doing right now with the outbreak of uh, uh, of uh, Corona, um, but they have decided in North Korea to pull the teeth of every inhabitant in the country, and so they do. They pull all the teeth of everyone in the country, and they t- it takes them about a week to do that, and then there are no more zombies because. There is the the zombie infection is transmitted through bites, and so that is how uh, they have survived. They have kept the virus out. It's just take out the transmission possibility. So in a way, that is similar to to the different approaches that you see in many countries. You've got total lockdown in China, which is enforced, of course, is totalitarian regime. So they can do that. It's extremely strict. Then you have kind of these. The opposite of that, like countries where they at first totally underestimate the situation. I mean, I think most countries were there like a couple of weeks ago. Um, And then all of a sudden there's this gradual realization that, well, we need to be much more strict because this is going way faster than we thought. Transmission rate is much higher than we initially thought. That happens also with the zombies. At first it takes like... I don't know, like an hour for for the zombie bite to to turn someone into a zombie, and then in in the end, it only t- takes twelve seconds for a victim to be transformed into a zombie. And so there's this acceleration happening in the movie, and it's like, oh, we're running out of time. And um, uh, I don't know. I just I it it's really interesting to see how much that zombie movie all of a sudden is like super topical right now. But of course, it's a zombie movie, so not my. Fa- I don't like horror movies. I don't like scary moments or like jump scares. Fortunately, there are not too many of those, but there, there are still a few moments where I was like, like, <gasps> okay, <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. I do have the the Blu-ray as well. I think it's streaming on on Netflix, Netflix or. Or Prime. I, I don't remember. Anyway, it's one of those streaming platforms. I also have the Blu-ray. It has some extras. Maybe it even has a, a director's commentary. I may check that out. Uh, because I, I'm pretty sure that they used like, medical advice, etc. when they were writing the script for this movie. Because it's eerily similar to our, you know, our current situation. Let's visit the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today, I just want to answer a question that I've been asked quite a bit over the past few weeks. And I think I've already answered it before. 
Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So, um, while I was chatting with the people that were following my mass uh, during the weekend, of course, I got some people that are following the mass, but they're not Catholic. Uh, some are even openly hostile towards religion, but they follow me on social media, so they saw that I was live, and they start to watch the Mass. And so this is one person who was constantly like, oh, deliver us from the evil religions all over the world, etc. I mean, I like Father Roderick, but religion, please don't. And <laughs> just went on and on like that, and then people were like, hey, but you're still watching Mass for an hour right now, and you say that you don't like religion. <laughs> Why are you watching this? So, but there were also some people that were asking me what, when this entire, uh, when we're all in lockdown, for instance, and someone wants to go to confession, why doesn't the Catholic Church allow confession via Skype or, you know, FaceTime or over the phone, you know, just using or direct messaging? And that kind of relates to the, the discussion that we had in our previous show about uh, the let's say, the abilities that canon law, so church law, um, opens in situations like these where people are in mortal danger but priests cannot have a personal one-on-one conversation. Um, And so the church can uh, allow priests to give a general absolution. So it's the forgiveness of sins without personal private confession. That is reserved for extreme situations. But but then that person in the chat asked, "Well, well, why don't you just use Skype? You know, we've got all these modern communication forms or use a webcam or what. Why is the church so stuck up on this, this personal encounter? And um, I, I had to explain again that, that there are actually a, f- a few very good reasons for the Catholic Church to not allow that. The first one is a very fundamental one. Our sacraments in the Catholic Church are based on what we see Jesus do. All our sacraments are ultimately built upon the mandate of Jesus. They're not human inventions, the sacraments. We believe that Jesus himself gave us these sacraments. And so uh, for every sacrament, you can go back to the Gospels to find the scriptural foundation for those sacraments. Now, I know that in certain Protestant circles, there are some some very valid questions about that and sometimes, you know, miscomprehension of, of those biblical roots of the sacraments. But there, again, there is, and maybe this will be something that I will do in future episodes of the show, just go through these sacraments one by one and, and explain what is the biblical origin of, of this or that sacrament and the way in which the Catholic Church celebrates these uh, sacraments. But for confession, um, it is vital to look at a, a, a number of things in the gospel. First of all, Jesus has the ability to forgive people's sins. Uh, look at the uh, the story of the the paralyzed man. Uh, you may remember that from the stories in your youth in the children's Bible. There's this man, he's paralyzed, he, so he cannot go to Jesus because he's lying on this bed. And then his friends take him, including the bed, open a hole in the roof of the house where Jesus is preaching, and they lower him using ropes so that the bed ends up in front of Jesus. Imagine the <laughs> what an impact that must have had. And Jesus 
instead of immediately saying, okay, I will just cure you, says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And that is like, what? <laughs> and, and we don't realize that, how, how bewildering that must have been to the Jews uh, that were listening to Jesus, because only God could forgive sins. And it was unheard of that a rabbi would tell someone, your sins are forgiven. That was blasphemy. You know, you couldn't do that. And then Jesus ultimately also ends up healing the man physically, corporally. But he wants to stress that he has the power, uh, the mandate to forgive sins as the son of God, of course. And then later on, that's the second part that you have to keep in mind uh, with the sacrament of confession, is that Jesus gives his apostles this power to forgive sins in his name he does it specifically after the resurrection when he tells the apostles whose sins you forgive they will be forgiven in heaven so what you bind here on earth will be bound on earth uh, will be bound in heaven if you don't forgive the sins then they won't be forgiven in heaven either so he clearly gives the apostles this mission to go and have this this um uh, do this this work of of reconciliation in his name when he will no longer be there. Uh, so his apostles get this mandate. And it's based on that mandate that the Catholic Church has always, from the early days of Christianity, way before the Protestant Reformation, the, the sacrament of forgiveness, of reconciliation, confession, has been a, one of the most central sacraments in the Catholic Church. Why is it so central? Well, because we are big-time sinners, and we mess up all the time. So forgiveness is something we need so often. And um, so th th those two elements are vital in the comprehension of, uh, of the sacrament of confession. And you notice that this, is, this mandate is given in a personal way. You have to do like I do. That's what Jesus tells them. Go to the ends of the world. Go to the people. Um, and so the, the Catholic Church emulates the behavior of Jesus, who never cures, um, you know, by phone. <laughs> Not that phones or technology was there. But Jesus always goes to meet people. The encounter is so vital. He travels from village to village because he wants to be with the people that he helps. And it's this closeness, it's this vicinity that is super important for um, for his ministry and for the way in which the church wants to be close to people. It's almost as if, um, and that's maybe why the church is so re reluctant when it comes to general absolution, you know, because that's kind of forgiving at a distance. It's, it still has to be in person, so the, the priest really has to be there. Um, but uh, the, the, um, the, the, Regular confession, face-to-face -face with a priest, has very much that personal encounter. And, and for me, that is pastorally so important that I, you, can, you can have this conversation. You can hear the tone of voice. Um, for the forgiveness, you can stretch out your hand and uh, you can absolve someone in person. It, it has a very different effect, I think, than if you would send someone in in email or or you know use like a, a webcam it's not the same so the encounter in the sacraments is vital because it reflects the the true real life encounter that that Jesus wants to have with us himself 
That's number one. The second element, maybe just as important, is uh, the sacrament of confession is private, super private. Actually, there is something that we call the, the, the seal of confession, which means that uh, those that partake in confession are, are, um, are obliged to keep that conversation a secret. A priest can never divulge anything that has been said in confession. It's so important for the church that there is even an immediate uh, punishment for priests that break the seal of confession, and that is automatic excommunication. It means you're kicked out of the church immediately. It doesn't have to be the Pope who says that. Uh, it's done the moment you divulge anything that has been said in confession. Uh, that priest is cut off the church. That's how important it is for the church to keep that uh, confidentiality uh, intact. So this whole discussion that we've seen uh, a while ago in certain countries, like in Australia, where the government wanted to force priests to report to the police what uh, what was said in confession if it concerned, for instance, abuse, for the Catholic Church that is unacceptable. And it's not because the Church doesn't want to protect uh, victims against abuse. Actually, there are many ways in which in confession you can you can do that. You can actually withhold forgiveness if someone does, is not willing to report to the police. You know, if, if a perpetrator confesses, you know, I've abused, I don't know, a child or something like that, and that person is unwilling to go to the police, you, you should withhold uh, absolution. So there are uh, many ways in which the church can... Um, uh, encourage people to be responsible in that case uh, because reparation is is a vital element of confession. You can't just say, well, hey, forgive me and I'll, I'll just continue to be a danger to my environment. No, you have to really uh, be willing to fix the situation and to repair what you've broken. And of course, with abuse, uh, the damages are uh, are so vast and so important that it is, of course, necessary for that person to go report themselves and and seek treatment as well. But what the Catholic Church can never allow is breaking the seal of confession. Why? Because for people, it's their eternity that is at stake. And if you were to go to confession, and in the back of your mind, there would always be this feeling, well, well maybe this priest will in the future, tell other people about what I've said, then that may prevent people from going to confession and thereby, you know, putting their eternal life at stake, uh, especially in case of mortal sins. And so confession, the seal of confession, is a guarantee that we need to give and priests are ready to go to prison over this. I would be ready to go to prison over this if uh, some... External government would tell me you you have to report whatever you said, or you know, uh, or otherwise you'll get you'll get punished. As they just sent me to prison, the seal of confession is something I cannot break because it would put in jeopardy my own eternal salvation. Nobody wants that. Um, so, bringing this back to the conversation that we had, why can't people confess over the phone or over Skype or through FaceTime? It's all about security. You know, anything digital can be, can be hacked. 
any conversation, even on, on iPhones, you know, uh, these companies like Apple, they can do whatever they think they need to do to protect the privacy, but they can't guarantee it 100%. Everything that's man-made can be broken. Every encryption can be broken and will be broken over time. So there, if confession through digital means can never be, we, we could not guarantee the seal of confession. We could not guarantee the confidentiality because there's always the risk that this this uh, conversation is overheard, that these digital means are hacked, that someone else is listening in. And that is something that we don't want because, it again, it would prevent people from feeling safe. And confession is so precarious, it's so personal, that you need that total confidentiality and that total safety. Um, and... Well, that's, that's a very important reason for the church to never allow confession through digital means, through, you know, the only exception that can be made, for instance, is in this corona situation, where let's say someone is in intensive care, highly contagious, very vulnerable. Um, in that case, and I think I discussed this in the last episode, it is possible for a priest to hear someone's confession over, for instance, an intercom. But that's still direct, and there has to be a window so that the patient can see the priest. So in that case, it's not a digital transmission as much as a amplification, a uh, technological amplification that would, from a canon law point of view, be more similar to the priest wearing a hearing aid. So it's, it's, it's a tool that enables the encounter. But it is very different from like a remote connection over the internet or over the phone. Anyway, uh, tricky, tricky situation. But I hope that I was able to explain a little bit why the Catholic Church is so uh, insistent, insistent when it comes to these, uh, you know, the personal nature of these um, of these sacraments. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? And it's time for our book segment. Tracy in the chat room has been posting a couple of questions, like additional questions, because she's from a Baptist, born-again Baptist tradition. Um, and I will, I will discuss your follow-up questions in my next podcast. For me, it's kind of difficult to both talk and read the comments at the same time, but I'll, I'll copy your your questions and I'll uh, I'll tr see if I can answer them in, in next week's show. Um, speaking of, of books, um, I have resubscribed to Marvel Unlimited. Maybe I've already told you th that I did. Yes, I think I already told you. Um, so I'm, I'm rediscovering uh, a number of comic book series, especially now that I have more time to read. And I discovered a real gem. It's a tiny little gem, but wow, was I excited to find it on Marvel Unlimited. Of course, Marvel Unlimited is not just um, superhero comic books, but it's also Star Wars, because Marvel has the rights to the Star Wars universe. And I found a comic book, a very short one, but was still very cool, that shows the backstory of the relationship between Snoke and Kylo Ren, something that is sorely lacking from the movies. You know, all of a sudden, we see this Snoke in the first movie. He seems to be this towering giant. And 
Turns out that he's actually still pretty big in real life. But we never get to see him training uh, Kylo Ren. And, and for the first two movies, we're like, well, where does this Sith Lord come from? Because there, is, there was no backstory, not even in the, in the books or in the comics. But there is this prequel that they made for The Last Jedi. And in that prequel, you see a younger Kylo Ren. He has already broken up with uh, Luke Skywalker because, well, he, Kylo thinks that Luke wanted to kill him. And so that's the weakness that Snoke used to, uh, to ad- adopt him as, a, as an apprentice. And you see the part of this training, and it's so well done. Oh, I so wish that we could have seen something like that in a, in a movie version. And the prequel story is too short. I want to see way more of that whole apprenticeship of, of, uh, of Kylo. But what, what is so cool is to see how cruel Snoke is towards Kylo. It's a very abusive relationship in a certain way where Snoke has all the power but Kylo is so desperate and he hates Luke Skywalker so much that it has driven him into the arms of this very harsh teacher who constantly humiliates uh, Kylo Ren and uses his insecurities and then Kylo's reaction is always he wants to he wants Snoke to be a father figure because he doesn't have a father anymore, and he's been kind of away from from Han and Leia for a long time, and now Luke Skywalker, who's also kind of a father figure to him, has threatened to kill him, and so he desperately craves recognition, and Snoke constantly refuses this recognition, um, and so in 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 the comic, at one point, they go and visit Dagobah. How cool is that? They so they go to Dagobah, and 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 it's, it's the, the the drawings are wonderful, and it feels very filmic, and it makes sense that they go to Dagobah for you know another test of Kylo, and of course, what is that test? It is the tree, you know the the kind of this this weird um, cave like tree where any Jedi has to or any uh, aspiring Jedi has to face his or her. Uh, deepest fears and that is where Kylo has to face someone that he didn't think he would ever face again and and I'm not going to spoil who that is but anyway it is pretty amazing and then he can't uh, uh, so Snoke is like I don't want you to wear that stupid mask so they they kind of take what we also saw in The Last Jedi um, because of course Kylo is using that mask to pretend to project that he's stronger than he actually is. Um, he's one of the most conflicted uh, um, bad guys in, in Star Wars history, I think. And that makes his character so riveting and so interesting. So he has to drop the mask, has to go in that, you know, it's, and it's kind of like a lot of the story mirrors Yoda's... Uh, um, teaching of Luke Skywalker when Luke wants to enter the tree Yoda is like hmm, your lightsaber your weapon you do not need it and then Luke still takes his lightsaber inside and well faces Darth Vader who turns out to be kind of himself in a certain way um and and here Kylo has to leave behind his mask but it's it's not an option it's an order. He has to leave the mask behind. And so he becomes even more vulnerable. And it, I just love this whole backstory and it's so well executed. The only downside is so short. 
is just, I don't know, 20 pages. And it made me want to see so much more of this relationship. So here's hoping that in the next couple of years we will see much more of that backstory. There may be actually novels that are based on this. I don't know. I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to all that expanded universe. But if you know about you know any, any storytelling form uh, that, that gives us more of this relationship between Snoke and Kylo, I'd love to hear of it because... It's something that really, uh, just this little comic book has helped me appreciate more what they did in The Last Jedi, even though the comic book was probably written way after The Last Jedi script was finished. But it's just stuff that fills in the blanks, and it helps It helps the story, because well, the movies were kind of rushed, right? And, well, there was no other option, but... Um, yeah, it's just he's so. This relationship between master and apprentice is so vital, so important that we 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 kind of need that backstory. So that would be my tip of the week: Marvel Unlimited, the Snoke prequel. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, "Hey, I see you plugged in a new device." and it's gonna load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built, whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. All right, we need to talk a little bit about working from home and ways in which technology and certain lifestyle changes can help you adapt to this new situation, which, let's be honest, is really not fun. Who doesn't want to go outside from time to time? But sometimes you, you, you just can't. The risks are too big. So what can we do to improve our situation? Let me start with a Twitter thread that someone forwarded to me. And I was like, wow, these are great tips. Um, it is from a certain Dr. Aisha Ahmad. No idea who that is. But there were some interesting productivity tips. So I bookmarked the thread to share it with you. Um, I'll just read through them and give some comments. Here is my advice on productivity. This is from the person who wrote the tweets. First, play the long game. Your peers who are trying to work as normal right now are going to burn out fast. They're doomed. Make a plan with a longer vision. So important. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So don't try to work in your first week in the same way and at the same speed and with the same intensity that you're used to work when you're at the office or where wherever you work. But give yourself time to adapt to the new situation. Otherwise, you'll burn out. Second tweet here. Your top priority is to stabilize and control your immediate home environment. Ensure your pantry has sensible supplies. Clean your house. That is a big one. I've noticed in the first week of isolation, of self-isolation, that I did not clean anything anymore. I was like, who cares, you know? I don't get any visitors, so my kitchen was a mess, and I had, like, I needed to, I still need to fold laundry that is, like, three weeks old. Um, I I really need to clean the, the house. Um, so do that in the first week. Clean your house. Make a coordinated family plan. Feeling secure about your own emergency preparedness will free up mental space. That's another thing, you know. As long as your house is cluttered and you have all that unfolded laundry, it's still in the back of your mind, like, I should do this, I should do that. Um, 
and you need all your focus right now on the new situation. So clean your house and make sure you have enough food to survive. Third, any work that can be simplified or minimized and flushed, flush it. Don't design a fancy new online course. It will suck you and burn you out. Choose the simplest solution for you and your students with minimum a minimum of administration. This is, I guess, advice to uh, teachers that are having to guide their students from home. So, but I think this advice also uh, applies to, well, for instance, a situation like mine, where all of a sudden I get all these ideas like, oh, I, maybe I can do this or maybe I can do that. And so instead of simplifying, I'm like overburdening myself with all sorts of ambitions because this new situation triggers my creativity. But focus on simplicity and, and in a certain way, minimalize your, your life and your activities. Um, the fourth uh, advice here, in the fourth tweet, give yourself a proper mental adjustment window. The first few days in, disaster, in a disaster zone are always a write-off. But if you give yourself that essential window, your body and mind will adjust to the new normal. Without that mental shift, you fall on your face. I think it's very wise. I totally concur. Fifth, after you experience the mental shift, build a, ske uh, a schedule or schedule. Make a routine. Put it on a weekly calendar with time blocks. Wake up early. Put the most important parts first. Food, family, fitness. That third one is a big one for me. Fitness. First two weeks, I was so out of whack I started eating junk food. I didn't, of course, I couldn't go out, go out for a run anymore. Like I gained like three pounds in one week. So fa food, family, fitness. Priority number one is a stable home. And then add windows for achievable work goals. Achievable work goals. Small steps. Sixth, cooperate with your brain. For me, I need to ease into heavy-duty academic writing. So I do admin in the morning and then dip my toe into papers and book projects around noon. Tick off accomplishments, no matter how small. Trust and support your mental shift. I think that's very true as well. Um, I've mentioned the app Habitica, H-A-B-I-T-I-C-A, -I -I Habitica, which is really great for these little checklists that you can do and it's a bit... of like a game, you get points and you can use those points to defeat monsters, etc. It's a little fun app. But for me, it works wonders and it helps me feel accomplished even if I just do the dishes and fold my laundry because you get points for that and it helps you to, to feel a certain uh, gratification even if you just do the normal things. And it, that really helps. It helps me calm down. Like I've got things under control. Then the next tweet... It's unreasonable to demand your body and brain to do the same things under higher stress conditions. Some people can write in a war zone. I cannot. I wait until I get back. But I can do other really useful things under high stress conditions. So support your uh, continuing mental shift. Um, let's see. Um, this next tweet is for this person's colleagues. This phenomenon should change how we understand the world. So let this distract you from your work because the world is supposed to be your, our work. May the crisis dismantle all our faulty assumptions and force us into new terrain. 
if I generalize that and apply it to my own life, yes, this this entire situation makes me look at things that I took for granted in a different way. Um, forces me to reinvent myself in a certain way or reinvent the work that I do. Um, and that takes that takes time and that takes energy. Normally, I don't lose a night's sleep over over mass and during the weekend, but now I was very um, not anxious, but I was worried. It's like, how am I going to pull this off? So giving myself space and time to figure out how to set up things so I can stream to my parishioners. Um, I'm I'm glad that I I gave myself leeway, license to do that and to to put off other stuff just because I like. For instance, I I've been putting off like streaming video games or doing the Lego builds. I, there was a lot of pressure. Well, pressure kind of social pressure, people like, oh, please give us something to watch and please do streaming. Like, well, no, I really need that energy right now to get to get things going, to to kind of come up with technical solutions for the live streaming. If I, if, and, and, and then that's enough, you know. I'll go back to live streaming video games and Lego when I have some, ex- when other things calm down. And then final advice in the tweet, also very important. We can check on our neighbors, reach out to isolated people, volunteer or donate as we can, because at the end of the day, our papers can wait. And that's an important one too. Uh, Make, check in more often with the people you love. Uh, It's as simple as that. Just a little phone call or something like that. It goes a long way. Also helps me when other people ask me, how are you doing today? Um, And that's something that can also help you Kind of step away from your own situation. Very quickly, because I'm already talking for so 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 many minutes now. One hour, thirteen minutes. Um, some technical things that you can do to enlarge your inner space. For me, VR is one. And of course, now many of, of you will say, "Well, I don't have VR. I don't have VR goggles, but I do." <laughs> I've got my Oculus Quest and I've got my Oculus Go. And sometimes that really does something to my mind to be able to step into a 3D world and walk around somewhere else. There are actually even apps that you can use in VR to where you just sit in at, at a lake fishing, stuff like that. It sounds simple. But you can, of course, also do that without all the technology by reading a book. This is the time to pick up reading again and read fantasy don't read books about you know viral epidemics (laughs) just try to read something like go and reread the 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 harry potter series go and redo a reread of the of the lord of the rings your brain is capable of creating these superb vr environments where you can just walk around and dwell in a place where everything is normal except for the orcs and saruman and Sauron. But, you know, all the rest is kind of normal. So do that. Another way to do that is 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 video games. Especially these open world video games. I mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, Red Dead Redemption. I don't care that much for the storyline because it's, you know, like a, a lot of these Rockstar games, kind of, kind of violent. But I love riding a horse in the sunset. <laughs> I love r- just walking around there in a virtual city or a virtual uh, in virtual nature there are some survival games that i love playing as well um what was this game that i've played a lot um the long dark the long dark i think it's made by canadians but it's a really cool survival game very difficult but you're like in 
like up in, in Alaska or something like that, trying to survive the cold and uh, hunting rabbits. And it's it's got this very slow pace, and it truly helps me to slow down. You can also play games that are more, you know, based in outer space, or there's a lot of these online games. This would be a good time to to discover Lord of the Rings Online. They opened up all the DLC for free. For for those of you that are you know don't want to pay a monthly subscription, but for the time being they have they offer there is so much to enjoy in Lord of the Rings Online. And if you've never played that game, I mean, yeah, it's a video game. It's not always everybody's taste, but being able to walk around in Middle Earth is unbelievably cool. So stuff like that, little things, music. That would be my final word of advice. Just listen to music, music that makes you happy. Like I'm, I'm playing like this very soft piano music in the background all the time because it helps me to calm down and de-stress. If you have any other tips on what to do, how to make this quarantine, this, this lock-in bearable, let me know in the comments. You know how to reach me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my supporters on patreon.com slash fatherrick. And I will see you next week in good health. <laughs> <laughs>